Hello, Disney fans, and welcome to the show. My name is Austin Terrace, and I'm joined here today by my two wonderful sisters, Kylie. Hey, everybody. And Emma. Hi, everyone. Coming up on this episode of Disney Daydream, Disney lays off 28,000 employees, a new plot summary is released for the upcoming movie Cruella, and Pixar's Soul will be available on Disney Plus starting on December 25th. Later on, we'll discuss our favorite and least favorite Disney princess movies. So, take a little break in your busy day, and let's start daydreaming. sure that you're connected with us via social media you can like us on facebook at disney daydream podcast follow our instagram account at dis daydream you can always email us dis daydream at gmail.com and if you're interested in some disney daydream merchandise you can head over to teespring.com slash store slash dis daydream to find things like stickers shirts and other things like phone cases, coffee mugs. We have a bunch of um, items that have our new logo on it. So if you're interested in any of those, a large portion of that money goes right back into supporting our podcast. Additionally, we have a Patreon account. Some of our super fans make a monthly financial donation to the show. We appreciate that very, very much. If you want to check out and see what special benefits our patrons receive each month, then you can head over to patreon.com slash Disney Daydream. These patrons really help make sure that we can keep the show going and bring you frequent content that's informative and also entertaining. So thank you again, Patreon members. Heading into our news story for today, we're just going to start with the biggest and unfortunately the most sad news story that I think we've heard from a long time uh, concerning Disney. So Disney's made the decision to lay off 28,000 employees as coronavirus continues to disrupt the theme parks. A round of layoffs, I think, was expected by everyone, but certainly not to this huge scale. It's really been a difficult few weeks for Disney cast members. I've been seeing a lot of distressing posts on social media, And I can't really imagine what these tens of thousands of cast members must be going through. The layoffs affect Disney's Parks, Experiences, and Products division. And the vast majority of those laid off will be part-time employees. I think they said 67%. Up until now, the Disney Parks around the globe have employed more than 100,000 people. So right now we're talking about a 25% reduction of their workforce in one go. Josh DeMauro, the new chairman of Parks Experiences and Products, said this in a memo to employees. As you can imagine, a decision of this magnitude is not easy. We've cut expenses, 
suspended capital projects, furloughed our CAS members while still paying benefits, and modified our operations to run as efficiently as possible. However, we simply cannot responsibly stay fully staffed while operating at such limited capacity. And we now know that the parks have officially been operating at 25% capacity since their reopening, and that number is not set to increase anytime soon. I'm pretty sure I also saw a news story this week about that. They're going to be spending quite a while at this 25% capacity setting. Additionally, Disney reported an operating loss of a billion dollars during the second quarter and an even steeper loss of $3.5 billion during the third quarter. So in a multitude of ways, some type of staff reduction was inevitable. I just don't think I heard anybody estimate that the number of layoffs would be as high as 28,000. Um, now, we know that there are real people behind these numbers, so our hearts go out to everybody who's now been forced to look for another job and who's had their life suddenly flipped upside down. Here's something that is super concerning to me, though. Later, DeMaro released a statement that said, quote, as difficult as this decision is today, we believe that the steps we are taking will enable us to emerge a more effective and efficient operation when we return to normal, end quote. So think about this statement a little bit more like in depth here. So this to me implies that when Disney is able to resume full capacity operation, which could be like between a year or two years away, it might be in a long time. They have no set-in-stone plans to bring back these cast members. The best that he could do was end his statement with, we look forward to providing opportunities where we can for them to return. The Josh DeMauro that Disney insiders talk about and that the cast members have raved about would never issue that type of statement. To me, that sounds like it's coming directly from Bob Chapek because this guy has had a history of cutting entertainment cast members even when the financial times were good and they were making boatloads of money. I think Josh DeMaro's true statement, if he could say what was on his mind, would be something like, we look forward to welcoming each and every cast member back into the Disney family as soon as we can resume full capacity operation. That would be in line with everything that he's been saying before, because we know that he's been a real champion of his cast members throughout his time at Disneyland, the short month or two he spent at Disney World, and since the coronavirus pandemic hit, he's still been championing his cast members. And I know I've been pretty upfront and honest about not caring for Bob Chapek. Our listeners are probably like, you sound like a broken record with that. But I do want to be fair, and I totally recognize that he's in a terrible position. He's dealing with a type of event that's never before been seen in Disney's history. But after emerging from COVID, the first thing that Disney should be reinvesting in are its cast members. If they don't do that in the long term, the company is going to regret it. Working in a Disney theme park is a tough gig. Parts of the job, I'm sure, are magical, but most of the job consists of following some pretty rigid protocols, battling through Orlando heat and other weather things that get in your way, and just trying your best to keep some crazy guests satisfied to the best of your ability. It's not an easy job, and now these workers are going to be forced to shoulder even more responsibilities and do more with less. 
And, you know, right from the first day when you're asked to take on more than what's reasonable, that becomes the norm. And it's just expected from you from now on. And that is a scary idea to me. Um, I, I don't think anybody would say that these cast members were just standing around doing nothing. You know, they're, they're overworked as it is. And right now, having a reduction of staff when you're at such limited capacity won't probably feel like a big deal. But once they start revamping, then that is going to be a huge deal. And that's going to really negatively affect the guest experience if there aren't enough cast members to adequately staff the parks. But that was a long time from just me. I, I want to get your thoughts on this because this is a really, really huge news story. And it's, it's unfortunate that so many people are going to be affected by this. Yeah, I mean, that's so sad. It's hard enough to find a job as it is right now. You know, um, it's, it's just so many people. I like I would never expect something that seems very permanent from like to happen to so many people. I don't know. That's I guess that's really all I have about it. I mean, unfortunately, that's the situation that most Americans are in right now. I mean, companies are not able to staff their employees at this point. Companies aren't making enough money and especially in the travel industry, people aren't traveling, people aren't flying, people aren't staying in hotels and everything is suffering. So it's super unfortunate and super devastating. But if you think about how many people Disney employs, like it's, it's really like shocking to think of the number of people that just work for the Disney, the Walt Disney company. Like it's, it's just wild. Like 28,000 people sound, and it is a lot of people. It's a ton of people. But it's no surprise to me that Disney's not able to pay all those people right now, unfortunately. So it's devastating, and hopefully hopefully it uh, won't be as permanent as it's sounding, but um, we'll see. We'll see if travel resumes anytime soon. Yeah, I just really hope that they bring people back instead of, like, I don't know, announce something like, oh, our this mm-hmm. new resort's, like, popping up i don't know yeah. <laughs> uh, who knows what the future will hold it's unfortunately way too unpredictable to kind of speculate about at the moment i'm wondering if we're gonna hear some like official decisions about cruise line you know coming up because i don't know what's going on with that whole thing like mm-hmm. <laughs> cruising is still not happening i know that there are a couple cruise lines not disney but they're they're running like these little test cruises out at the moment to kind of see how that works and they're looking at ways to kind of revamp the ports and all of that but there's a lot of uncertainty there as well so our hearts are going out to those employees we hope that they find work soon i don't know we just have to be supportive of each other during this time but i think we're going to try to maybe keep the rest of our episode a little more upbeat and positive and it's going to be pretty much a a discussion about a lot of movies from now on so Mm -hmm. we hope that you will enjoy that and kylie has our next movie themed uh news story so disney has just released a new plot summary for cruella the movie that is coming out soon 
Uh, I will read it for you guys here. So it is, Teenaged Estella has a dream. She wishes to become a fashion designer, having been gifted with talent, innovation, and ambition, all in equal measures. But life seems intent on making sure her dreams never come true. Having wound up penniless and orphaned in London at 12, four years later, Estella runs wild through the city streets with her best friends and partners in petty crime, Horace and Jasper, two amateur thieves. When a chance encounter vaults Estella into the world of the young, rich, and famous, however, she begins to question the existence she's built for herself in London and wonders whether she might indeed be destined for more after all. When an up-and-coming rock star commissions Estella to design him a signature piece, she begins to feel as though she has truly arrived. But what is the cost of keeping up with the fast crowd? And is it a price Estella is willing to pay? So this movie is going to be set in 1970s London, uh, which is a little later than the original film. The original film was released in the 60s, so um, they're bumping up the time for this one and it is still on track to release on may 28th 2021 since filming wrapped pre-covid so it hasn't been delayed there the movie will feature emma stone as cruella and paul paul walter hauser and joel fry as horace and jasper i'm interested to see what this movie will be like i'm kind of sick of live action remakes at this point it has just i'm craving some like innovation and like new storylines from Disney because I feel like recently this is all they've been doing but uh this may have a better chance of being good since I'm not really emotionally attached to 101 Dalmatians I feel like it could be interesting for them to change up the story a bit and we really don't have any information on Cruella so uh it could be something that is interesting and like a necessary addition to the story Uh, What do you guys think? I'm actually really excited for this movie um, because I feel like it's a little bit of a different take than the original, so it's not going to feel like the same thing done in a bad way, which is what most of the live-action remakes are. I'm actually mostly excited, though, because of the actors involved in this project. I love Emma Stone. She's done brilliant work before. And also, you know, Paul Walter Hauser is not really a household name but for all of our Michigan listeners because I know we have a lot of people who listen from the state that we're from he's from Grand Rapids and he's participated in I Tanya, Black Klansman and Richard Jewell last year which a lot of people thought he should be nominated for an Oscar for so we have two like Oscar worthy actors that are leads in this project and that to me is really exciting um I just think that Emma Stone was kind of the perfect choice for Cruella I can just like already imagine it so this is actually one that I'm looking forward to yeah I'm definitely interested to see how it turns out I'm excited for it I feel like there aren't many people who have longed for this movie to happen it's kind of like it feels kind of random to me but still I'm excited for it I think that might be what it has going for it though like the problem they ran into with the lion king it was a if you look at it as its own entity it was a great movie but i'm just so connected to the original 
that I can't look past that. And with 101 Dalmatians, that's just not the case for most people. Most You ask most people what their favorite Disney movie is, they're not going to say 101 Dalmatians. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and also the whole idea of villain origin stories. Yeah. That's kind of... I mean, that's more interesting than just live-action remakes. Yeah. Like, if you think... They would probably consider the Maleficent franchise to be doing pretty well with Angelina Jolie. Yeah. And I mean, I at least thought the first movie was fine. I don't know. Like, if if it's done well, that can kind of add, like, a fun element to the overall story of whatever movie it's talking about. Yeah. And then it just sounds like a lot of fun, like, London fashion designer wannabe like that. That could be a, a cool element of the story, too. And then we're going to wrap up our last news story, talking a little bit about Soul, and Emma's going to cover that. Disney and Pixar's Soul will finally be released to Disney Plus on December 25th. The release itself is going to be much like the live-action Mulan release. However, this time, there will not be an extra fee to view the movie. Um, I think that Disney probably realized that no one wanted to pay $30 for a movie they could just wait for until it's free. I think that was kind of a big mistake on their part. I mean, I haven't watched it because I didn't want to pay for it. But yeah, so I'm really excited about that. Um, And if you don't know, Soul is the newest Disney Pixar movie that was supposed to come to theaters on June 19th, 2020. It's described as a heartwarming and humorous story about human connection and finding one's place in the world, which I think is just an amazing topic, especially right now. Um, I think this whole like COVID has been a good time to reflect on yourself and, I mean, really just learn the importance of human connection and also uh, self-reflection. Uh, So this story follows Joe Gardner, who is a middle school music teacher. His lifelong dream is to perform jazz music on stage. When he finally has the chance to do so, an accident causes his soul to be separated from his body. As his soul starts moving to the great beyond, Joe escapes to the great before, which is a world where souls develop personalities before being sent to Earth. He has to work with souls in training in order to return to Earth before his body dies. And, I mean, I just absolutely cannot wait for this movie. It's such a cool concept. Um, I, I mean, I have really high expectations for it, I guess. This movie is going to destroy me. Just that (laughs) short description. I know I'm going to, like, lose it watching this movie. I'm so excited. And I think it's a great premise. I'm like counting down the days and I, the music, you know, is going to be incredible. Mm -hmm. And also I love Disney marketing and Pixar's marketing, especially because if you watch the trailers, you don't really get a whole lot of information. And I love that because I enjoy going into a movie and being surprised in every movie that I go into. That's a Pixar movie. It's unexpected in some way. And then they did the same thing with Frozen. And that's Mm -hmm. how Disney's kind of been approaching it since then. And I think that's really cool because although my expectations are high, I know I'm not going to be disappointed because I don't have a preconceived notion about what this movie should be about. Right. This sounds like the next Inside Out. And I love Inside Out. So if it's anything like that, I think it's going to be 
awesome. I love the creativity that Disney has when they tackle this kind of thing. Uh, well, Pixar, I guess, um, does it more often than than Disney. But just like concepts where they create their own world and they take a concept like emotions or like video games or in this case, souls, and they put their creative spin on it and create a brand new world. And I think they do a great job of that. It'll be nice not having to pay $30 because I also haven't watched Mulan because of that reason. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. like we're going to get into this in our next episode because a huge announcement was made about Disney entertainment and media. I I don't want to like spoil that, but a lot more of these are going to be happening, you know? And I think the key is if they want to make money from it, finding a price point that seems reasonable because a $30 price point is only reasonable if you're with your entire family and you Mm -hmm. compare it to the price of taking your whole family to the theater. But the thing is the theater's an experience and like, I I love going to the movies and you don't, you can't like compare it apples to apples and say, Mm -hmm. Oh, I would have spent $30 more at the theater. So this is a better deal. Like it's not the same. You're paying for the sound and the giant screen and the, not just the movie itself. Yeah. I mean, and being in, just being in the theater, it's, it's a whole different experience than just sitting at home on your couch with probably like pretty bad sound quality. So I mean, well, and the thing is like, if you think of like on demand and things like that, where people can buy movies or rent movies, if you're paying $30, you're buying it and you get it forever, not renting it for a, what was it? 48 hour period. I think they're doing like, that's just so And then you're at the mercy of it having to remain on the streaming platform forever you don't actually own it yeah Mm -hmm. we have a cool topic for you guys today we'll see if any sparks fly or if we're pretty much in agreement uh we're going to be talking about the best and worst disney princess movies that's coming right up ending on a good note so we're gonna tackle our least favorite disney princess movies first kylie kick it off for us and what are the worst disney princess movies so we'll start with my third least favorite and i know i'm gonna get some heat for this one but i'm gonna say brave and this is really just a my opinion thing and as i sat down to kind of assess why that was the case i just don't really even know what it is about it, but I don't find myself super engaged during this movie. I know that it's Pixar, and most Pixar movies aren't musical style, but I really miss the musical format in this movie for some reason. I just feel like all Disney princess movies have that element to it, and as someone who is like an avid Disney princess fan, like as a kid, I loved every single Disney princess movie, and I just really miss that about this film. I also don't feel like I connect to the characters as much. 
Um, Merida's okay, but most of the main characters are bears for the majority of the movie. And you don't really see a lot of character development or get to know them or like even hear them talk, which I think makes it difficult to really connect with them on a deeper level. Like I said, I'm just such a huge Disney princess fan. I think it boils down to the fact that this movie is just too different from the other princess movies for me. And Brave just doesn't feel like a Disney princess movie to me. What are your thoughts on that one? Personally, I really do like Brave. I get that it doesn't feel like a typical Disney princess movie. But I mean, for me personally, I really like it because... Well, I find the concept interesting, and I like how it's all about, like, she doesn't need a prince. I think it's really important for um, young people to see that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's not, like, in my top three, but definitely not in my bottom three either, so. Yeah, I love the theme as well. But there is a little bit of a disconnect not having the characters be singing. It is weird when you grow up with that. All the princess movies, you know, there are these original songs that the characters sing and then you see Brave and it's not that way. I feel like we mentioned this before. It's like, where does Brave actually belong? Because it doesn't feel like a Pixar movie. It doesn't necessarily feel like your classic um, Disney princess movie either. So it's in this kind of weird place. The funny thing for me, though, is it was in my bottom three, I think, for the Pixar episode, Mm. but is not in my bottom three for the princess. (laughs) Like, in a weird way, I feel like it functions a little bit better as a princess movie than a Pixar movie. Yeah, yeah. But maybe the quality overall is a little bit higher in terms of Pixar. But yeah, I don't know. I think you made some good points, Kylie. I'm not too frustrated that you put this at the bottom. (laughs) It's kind of in the middle for me. Next on my list is, uh, it's sad that this even exists, but (laughs) Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. So in this movie, if you have never seen it, which I'm sure most of you have not, the characters uh, post-enchantment, is that... Like, they've already come out, they're in their human form, um, are celebrating Christmas, and they start to reminisce about the Christmas before that, where they were still all under the curse, and Belle had just arrived at the castle, and this is just such an unnecessary movie. Um, Basically, we learn that the Beast doesn't like Christmas, because he was transformed on Christmas Eve. Uh, Belle tries to get the Beast to change his mind by decorating and wanting to celebrate and do all this stuff for Christmas. And when a pipe organ and a piccolo, who were used to be the composer for the prince, see that Belle and the Beast are starting to like be friendly with each other, uh, they begin to sabotage their relationship because they do not want to be human again. Uh, basically, this pipe organ guy does all kinds of stuff to tear Belle and the Beast apart and uh, ends up trying to kill everyone in the castle, and then Beast straight up murders him, and then they all celebrate Christmas. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so... That escalated. Yeah. It, yeah. Jeez. It gets, yeah. That's so, so anyway, this should not exist, and it adds nothing to the story of Beauty and the Beast, and 
It, you watched this when we were kids, right? Yeah. I don't think I watched it all the way through. Yeah. I remember seeing maybe the first half of the movie, but I definitely didn't finish it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just an unnecessary Disney princess sequel, as Disney likes to do. Classic. Milking money by releasing a Christmas movie. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, transformed on Christmas Eve. Like, right <laughs> at that, like, my eyes roll back into my head. Like, give me a break. Okay. So moving into my least favorite Disney princess movie, it has to be Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I appreciate this movie a lot for its historical significance. Yeah, we better give that disclaimer because this will give us a lot of hate. Yeah. I I love... I, if you think about this movie in the context of when it was created, a lot of the stuff I'm about to say is going to be like null and void. Um, It's the original princess movie and the first full-length animated film. So looking at it like through that lens, truly amazing, awesome, way to go, Disney. Um, And honestly, I love the dwarfs. I love their characters. I I think they're the best part of this movie. Um, But it's really all that I like about it. Snow White is hard to understand, and her singing voice is piercing to listen to. (laughs) Um, And I think it was a style thing thing from back then but i just it listening to it now is very difficult um it's also just really short and it doesn't feel like much happens like the story just all happens so fast that you don't really get much there's not much of a story it it feels like a short story not a movie but again it was the first of its time so yes that's my opinion on that I feel like half of that movie is the opening credits. (laughs) I mean, literally, if you look at it, it's probably about half of the movie. It's insane. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's it's okay. Like Kylie said, I like the dwarves and stuff. But yeah, it's just Snow White as a character is just bland and annoying and has no depth. But, you know, I mean, obviously... Like we've said, like when this came out, obviously it was great. It reminds me of Star Wars. Like when Star Wars came out, it was revolutionary. Watching the original Star Wars movies now is a little painful, in my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, and this is also a sign of our age talking in this way. You know, <laughs> other generations would definitely feel differently. But yeah, we it set the stage. I might have more things to say about this movie coming up, but <laughs> a lot of the tropes that this movie introduced have been improved upon, and it's a good thing. Like, character development, relationships between <laughs> characters, yeah. and there were, yeah, I mean, the dwarves are awesome, but uh, Snow White herself, I, there's <laughs> something that's left to be desired. Like, if you actually watch this movie and kind of evaluate it from like a current standpoint but okay let's move on to emma (laughs) here and give us your bottom three all right so my third least favorite is sleeping beauty and i mean i think part of it might be how often i was forced to watch it because of kylie growing up um because you know it's her favorite disney princess like we watched it all the time, but it's okay. But it, 
just always puts me to sleep or at least makes me want to fall asleep. I don't, it's just the vibes of the movie. I can't stand it. And I mean, I like some parts of it, but most of it is just boring. And honestly, I don't really have anything else to say about it. That's really it. Yes, this, uh, as a kid, Sleeping Beauty was my favorite Disney movie, hands down. Um, She still probably is my favorite Disney princess. Um, And I chose for that reason to leave this movie out of my lists because when I think about it critically as like the best and the worst Disney movies, not my like favorites, this movie really is like not good. (laughs) You don't. In the context of a princess movie, like, the princess is asleep for most of the movie. So you don't... It's really a a movie about the fairies more than Mm -hmm. it's a movie about Mm -hmm. the princess. Um, Doesn't she have, like, 18 lines or something the whole time? It's not many. It's something like that. Uh, So, yeah, that... I had to detach myself emotionally from this movie. There's a great For this episode. Yes, Yes. I love Maleficent. She's great. Yeah, that's my... She's my favorite villain, but... Yeah. I also really like the like the artistic like the the background art. Mm-hmm. You can sense some of that European influence in like the setting is is really cool. So, that's a plus, but yeah, overall it's a it's a slow movie. All right, you're you're second to the bottom. Okay. So, now we've got Cinderella 3: A Twist in Time. I mean, This movie is iconic, but not necessarily in a good way, always. Um, I really do think the plot is really interesting. I remember really liking this movie when I was younger, but when you think about it, it's just really not the best. So I'm just going to read the movie description to kind of describe um, what's going on in this movie. On the first anniversary of Cinderella's marriage to Prince Charming, her stepsister Anastasia finds the fairy godmother's wand in the forest. Cinderella's cruel stepmother, Lady Tremaine, uses it to reverse time, making the famous glass slipper fit Anastasia's foot before Cinderella has a chance to try it on. No longer retaining any memory of who Cinderella is, the prince prepares to marry Anastasia. So basically... I do want to watch this movie again, just to see what I think of it now. Um, And I genuinely do like the fact that this movie really develops Anastasia as a character. And it also develops the relationship between her and Cinderella. So I do have a lot of respect for this movie. But honestly, I remember it being like a fever dream or something when you're watching it. That's like what it feels like. And there are really no words to describe how this movie feels when you watch it. It's like an out-of-body experience. I don't know. I was just thinking about it, and it's like the way that the characters talk and like the way that things happen, it just makes you feel weird inside. (laughs) So (laughs) what? (laughs) I don't know. I don't don't hate this movie. This is Mm -hmm. like... It is kind of interesting. It's definitely entertaining. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you just want to watch something to have a good time, like, this movie (laughs) will keep you entertained. I don't know if it's really necessary, but it's not horrible to me, even though it's the third in the Cinderella movies, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I used to love this movie as a kid. I think, yeah, now I see that, like, okay, this was just <laughs> to, like, make more money. But um, it's not the worst Disney princess sequel, so. No, I not by a long that. shot, in yeah. my opinion. Yep. Okay, and your most hated. My most hated. <laughs> my most hated Disney princess movie. That last one really just brings us right into the one and only Cinderella 2, Dreams Come True. It rhymes. Yes. So this movie is just so pointless, and it should never have existed in the first place. I genuinely could not remember the second Cinderella movie, so I looked it up. And looking back, I think I did like it, but the plot sounds so stupid. Here's the movie description. The magic never ends, but what happened to Cinderella? She lived happily ever after, but it wasn't all plain sailing, and her friends, Jacques and Gus the mice, tell three stories of Cinderella's life as a princess. I mean, this is really your typical pointless Disney movie sequel. It takes you through a few little anecdotes that basically do nothing to enhance a common theme at all, and it ultimately ruins the value of the original movie in the first place. Um, For example... Fox and the Hound is one of the saddest and just overall amazing movies, Um, but the sequel is a bunch of random stories from when they were little. I just genuinely don't understand why any of those sequels exist. So, yeah, that's it. This movie, honestly, I applaud Disney because they did every little girl's dream of, like, in a thing like I remember being a kid thinking I wonder what it's like living in the castle as Cinderella and then they make a movie where they like tell you three stories about Cinderella's life in the castle so like seven-year-old Kylie was like this is so cool um but it's really just like there's no substance there and it's tragic that this movie exists (laughs) yeah it's horrible bad pointless movie it's almost as if somebody pitched the idea of creating a Cinderella TV show. Yes. And that didn't yeah. get accepted. So the ideas that they had were just conglomerated into this episodic um. movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but definitely did not need to exist, but existed because of the hundreds of thousands or millions of little girls out there who wanted to experience this. <laughs> the Kylie day was in one the of life them. of Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For my least favorite princess movies my third least favorite is the little mermaid 2 return to the sea now we watched this many times in our childhood and i will admit just like cinderella 3 it is entertaining it moves pretty quickly but in a lot of ways it's a guilty pleasure watch i mean the plot is essentially the same thing as the original it's just flipped around Because you have Ariel now living on land with Eric. She has a daughter, Melody, who is almost killed as an infant by Morgana, who's apparently Ursula's sister, we just found out about. So, like, the the other aunt, like... Yeah, I guess the other (laughs) aunt. And then Ariel very quickly turns into her father in terms of her parenting style. She forbids Melody from ever swimming in the ocean. But, of course, following right in the footsteps of the original Little Mermaid, Melody feels more at home in the sea rather than on land. So she sneaks away and she swims anyway. 
you can kind of see like where this is going because it it takes the exact same path of the first movie she goes finds morgana morgana turns her into a mermaid and she's just like all you have to do instead of getting the prince to kiss her this time she has to steal her grandfather's trident which she does really easily and (laughs) then i mean i didn't like how clueless and annoying ariel became in this movie it's just they kind of destroyed her character. I, I think the entire film could have been 20 minutes if Ariel would have just had a conversation with Melody instead of continually trying to cover up the truth and push her away until she is so frustrated that she just runs away into the ocean. And it's kind of one of those things where you reach the end and you wonder, like, wow, did that really need to happen? That could have been avoided, but everybody was just stupid the whole time and kept making the same mistake over and over again. So this movie is on my bottom list because it's it's derivative and it's kind of just the first movie. But hey, it's I mean, I wouldn't say don't watch it. It is entertaining. <laughs> again, I loved this movie as a kid. I'm the reason that they had to watch all of these things probably. But um I have to say this movie has some good music. I watched it again recently and it has like for a Disney princess sequel, it has some jams. Like, I was impressed by the music in this one. Huh. But... I remember maybe a couple songs. I remember the song that the new walrus friend was yeah. singing and stuff like that. Can but... we talk about Dad Flounder for a second? Oh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Flounder's a dad in this movie. <laughs> Wait, so I have a question. Um... I barely remember this movie. I remember liking it, but I can't remember any details. So if she wasn't a mermaid to begin with, how did she get down there? She rides on an iceberg. But how did she breathe? It's not an underwater thing. Oh. It's like an ice castle that Morgana lives in. Well, what type of... What is she? She's a squid. Then how did she live above water? Well, okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're thinking way too much into this. All right, my second to least favorite. This was on Kylie's list, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So I struggle to watch this movie now. Again, we don't want to receive your hate mail. Like, I give it major props for being the original Disney princess movie. I completely understand and appreciate its historical significance. But in terms of actually watching a movie, sitting down and viewing it, I just don't enjoy it. It's one of those things, like, I get it's a cultural milestone, it's a technical revolution, and it's listed in the AFI's top 100 movie list. I agree, it should be there, but still, I don't enjoy watching the movie. Maybe it's completely shallow, but the main reason I don't like this movie is Adriana Casalotti's voice, her singing voice. She voices Snow White, of course, and I can't stand the way that she sings. Her voice has a sort of like tin-like hollowness, but is very shrill. And it's combined with like a fast, fast, unnatural sounding vibrato <laughs> that just sets me on edge. <laughs> it's it's like, it reminds me of like a propeller or something. Just like, it just goes so fast. Yes. I, I don't even know. In general, I think the score is wonderful, and there are a lot of cool songs, but I can't get over her singing voice. 
the evil queen, the dwarves, and even the huntsmen, they're all strong characters, but does anybody on earth care about the prince in this movie? <laughs> Talk about a disappointing romance. Like, there's a, as much chemistry between two rocks. <laughs> I mean, it's a classic. It very literally changed Hollywood. So I just want to make sure we give it the credit it deserves before too many people are frustrated. But with that being said, I don't watch this movie anymore, really. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny to like think about the progression of Disney princes because it went Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, right? I believe release wise. Something I think so. Yeah. yeah. And this guy is just the prince. No one knows his name. <laughs> then Cinderella's prince is Prince Charming, which is like still weird. Like his name is Charming, really? And then, like, we finally get a name with Sleeping Beauty, Prince Philip, but it's still even, like, not much is said about Philip. Right. And they're, like, the, in many ways, they're somewhat the hero of the story, too. Like, Mm -hmm. they save the princess, you know? And it's just strange. It's like, oh, I don't really know anything about you. Like, you maybe had one song. (laughs) Yeah, like, in Snow White. The prince is in, like, two scenes. And then, of course, he's the hero of the whole thing. Also, it cracks me up that, like, this complete stranger just came and kissed Snow White. And And she's she's like, like, oh, "Oh, I love you. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I'll go on your horse right away. I, I, I hate it. So thank you for developing this, I mean, whole genre of movie. And we're glad that Disney is like taking a critical eye and now has improved like every aspect of this type of of creation. That's a good thing. So, all right, my least favorite horrible horrible movie, <laughs> Mulan 2. It doesn't even have a subtitle like the <laughs> other ones. So, does anybody care if I give away some spoilers? Please. No. Okay. Yeah, you shouldn't. It'll save you a painful hour and a half. So I watched this film a couple years ago for, like, joke purposes to get a laugh. But it, it was even worse than I expected. Essentially, it starts out with Mulan training little girls to be warriors. When her boyfriend, Shang, stops by and proposes to her. Of course, she says yes. Uh, but then the emperor's assistant rides in and announces that China's on the brink of war with the Huns. And this is where the movie gets really bad. The ancestors tell Mushu that he's about to lose his job because if Mulan gets married, then uh, Shang's ancestors will not protect her. So he turns like into the villain of the film, basically. (laughs) And he spends nearly the rest of the movie trying to break them up. And it's not even done in like a funny way. You really start to hate Mushu. He's a huge jerk. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) But at least, you know, it's Mulan, so you think there's going to be some good action and sword fighting? No. When Mulan and her boyfriend reach the Emperor, he tells Mulan that her job's going to be to escort three princesses to get married because a marriage will unite these two powerful kingdoms, making them strong enough to fight the Huns together. So here you start to think, wow, they just presented an interesting philosophical dilemma. Like, how will Mulan react? Is she going to hold firm in her belief against arranged marriages? Or is she going to change her position, knowing that the future of her whole country is at stake with this alliance? But the movie's not that deep. 
along the way, the three princesses fall in love with Mulan and Shang's soldier friends that were in the first movie. And that's enough for her to just kind of stop the joining of the two kingdoms without really much discussion. So to make a long and confusing story short, one of Mushu's tricks actually works. Shang becomes super angry at Mulan. Mushu's overwhelmed with guilt that he broke them up, so he confesses. She rides out to reconcile with Shang, but on the way she's attacked by bandits, and Shang saves her. They end up on this bridge that's teetering and eventually breaks, and we think that Shang falls to his death. Oh my god. Mulan is devastated, obviously, but she decides to travel to the other kingdom alone, and she is going to offer herself up to marry one of the ruler's sons. Of course... Shang's not actually dead, and like every romantic comedy, he appears right before the ceremony takes place. With the help of Mushu, who essentially now is pretending to be a great golden dragon of unity, he helps like release Mulan from her wedding vows, and she's allowed to marry Shang. So, is that confusing <laughs> enough for you? Basically, like, it's so... Pr- problematic like the two kingdoms are not going to be united and basically china's going to be destroyed like that's what this movie ends with like they spent the whole movie worried about this possibility but right after shang comes back in the end everybody seems to just forget about this impending attack (laughs) i just hate the entire premise of that it's horrible and the animation style is also different it's really cartoony and Mm. gross They even reuse the song A Girl Worth Fighting For. Like, the same thing. That's That's so lazy. That's so annoying. It's horrible. (laughs) But, okay, skip that movie. (laughs) And let's end on our favorite note. So, Kylie, what is your third favorite princess movie? I will start by saying I had a very hard time with this pick because I just have so many princess movies that I love. Um, And I think they honestly change frequently. But right now, as I was creating this list, I think I'm going to say Moana is my third favorite. This movie just gives me so many emotions. And it's such a beautiful story. Uh, This is just a movie where I easily cry every time I watch it multiple times. The animation is also really stunning. There are a lot of scenes where I'm just captivated by the movement of the water and like Taka and the island goddess or whatever. Like there's just a lot of really beautiful scenes when like all the the voyagers are traveling across the ocean. Just really cool, cool animation. And then the music is very powerful and has such a unique sound in comparison to the other princess films as it should since it's like a different culture. I like that about this movie. I like that it sounds different. However, I will say the one area of this movie that lets me down a little bit is the animal sidekick. I was really into Pua, the little pig, but yeah. then she takes Hey Hey on the adventure. Yeah, who even and Hey is Hey that? is the worst. <laughs> he's just like constantly pecking at the floor and yeah. he just doesn't have any depth. But I like Mo- Moana's character and I like Maui and I like their interactions together together. And I think that's enough to overlook that element. But Great movie. Love this movie. Awesome movie. Awesome music. Awesome animation. Yeah, I mean, it's really great. So. Yeah, I don't really have too much bad to say about this or anything bad. So, cool. Number two? Number two for me is Beauty and the Beast. And 
I like to think of this as an original Disney princess. I mean, yeah. it nowadays was, you would say. Yeah, it was yeah. released in the 90s, so it depends on like your age category. It's part but, of the Disney Renaissance, technically, but nowadays that's a little while ago, so... But I think of, I'm going to classify it as an original, of the original Disney princess movies, Beauty and the Beast, I think, does the best job of developing both the prince and the princess. I feel like both characters get close to equal screen time, and it allows you to connect with both, um, which as we talked about with our least favorite movies, that's kind of a big reason why, is no one connects with the prince. But in this movie, we do. And I like how music is used in this movie. It's used a little differently than the other originals. There are a couple songs where either like a character is singing off screen, narrating what's happening, or you're hearing the print uh, bell and the beast singing in their heads while you're watching what's going on rather than just them singing to you, which is unique. I mean, it's different from the other movies. And this is just another movie with so many great characters that you really grow to feel for all of the enchanted objects in the house. And I feel so sad for that, like, 30 seconds where they all think it was too late to break the spell because um, you you genuinely like all the characters. I also like that there's a love triangle in this movie, um, making the love story a little different from what you might expect from a princess movie. Usually that that doesn't exist, so it's cool that they added that extra element in of, like, Belle getting to choose that she doesn't like Gaston and she wants to be with the beast. Yeah. And I mean, Gaston's a great villain. Yeah. And there are a lot of really wonderful songs in here. I like your comment about the music. I totally agree. It's used in so many interesting ways that propel the story forward that we didn't really see previous to this movie. So yeah, I love this one. I also love this movie. I don't have anything bad to say about it, really. It's a great movie. And last but not least, my favorite, well, I will say the best Disney princess movie is Tangled. Um, This movie is just fantastic. The music is great. The characters have so much depth. And I love the story and the unique take that it has on the classic fairy tale. The movie just makes you feel all the emotions as well, which I love. Uh, It has scenes that are just stunningly beautiful, like when they release the floating lanterns, you're just captivated by how pretty that animation is. And then from Rapunzel to Flynn Rider to Maximus the horse to Pascal to the thugs they meet and the snuggly duckling or whatever it's called, like you just love all the characters. They're all such strong characters and I truly can't pick a favorite, which is probably one of the reasons why this movie is so good. Period. (laughs) great movie i mean such a masterpiece such a brilliant movie all around yes so good so good all right emma give us your top three all right so my third favorite movie is frozen and um i mean like kind of like frozen and frozen 2 together because i i I (laughs) genuinely (laughs) sorry well i can't pick which one i like better Something that I love about this movie, along with Frozen 2, is that the love story isn't the main focus. In the first movie, we see that Anna and Elsa value their relationship over anything else. And it's a really beautiful story. And I love how it shows young kids the value of family over a love interest. Um, And then the second movie is all about self-discovery. Again, not a focus on a love story. 
And it really embraces the importance of finding your true self and embracing where you come from. And I think both of those messages are extremely important and it makes the movies feel different than your typical princess movie, but it also still does feel like a, a Disney princess movie. Uh, the music is awesome. The animation is awesome. Yeah, that's really it. As overplayed as this music is, you can't deny that it's just awesome. Like, yeah. I, I love the music for this movie. And people say that, like, they ruined it with just how popular it became. But I disagree. I think the music is phenomenal without question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just because something's overplayed, most things that are overplayed or don't deserve to be. But there are some things that are just really fantastic. And, you know, mm -hmm. the fact that people play them over and over again, well, it really struck a chord with <laughs> millions of yeah. people. This this is one of those examples where something is hyped up to high heaven, but the actual product is really, really great. So it, it deserves a lot of hype. You know, we've mentioned this before. It's not cool to hate on Frozen because it's super popular. Yeah. There's yeah. so much to love about it. Yeah, so my second favorite Disney princess movie is The Little Mermaid. This has always been one of my favorite Disney princess movies. Um, I love how magical it is. You know, when you're a kid, the concept of mermaids is fascinating. And it's so cool to think about the world that was created in this movie. And it's just really fun to see how the separate worlds come together at the end of the movie. Also, I just love the music. And I like that Ariel actually wants to think for herself and be her own person rather than going along with everything her father tells her to do. Yeah, and Little Mermaid, I absolutely adore the music. So it's just one of those things. All of the, all of the songs end up getting stuck in your head. I loved Ursula. She was probably my favorite childhood oh, villain. Yeah. So I would always sing her songs and <laughs> kind of act out her parts when I watched this as a really little kid. And yeah, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> I, I think Prince Eric is my favorite prince also. Yeah. I like him a lot. This is a great movie. I love this one. Now, my favorite disney princess movie is tangled also uh tangled is the best disney princess movie and no one can change my mind it's just a fact it has fantastic music a fantastic storyline fantastic characters it makes you cry and laugh and it's truly just beautiful in every aspect and i really love how you can enjoy this movie at any age it's kind of like Toy Story 3 in the respect that it means different things to you as you grow up. Like, right now, well, when I was little, it was more just about the excitement of an, like, of an adventure, you know, and then the love story. But now it's kind of just like growing up and moving on, you know, like mm. doing yeah. stuff with your life. I just I just really love this movie. Yep, again, I guess I can't say anything different than what I said to Kylie. <laughs> love this movie so much. Masterpiece. <laughs> yep. Okay, for my top three, my third favorite has to be Frozen 2. 
Some people might be surprised that I put a sequel on my favorites list, but we've discussed this movie before on the show. If you're one of our longtime listeners, you know how much I love this movie. It's honestly a little dark for younger audiences, but for someone my age, I think it makes it even more honest and relatable. I just think that this sequel does everything that a sequel is supposed to do. It's filled with more memorable songs. The story feels timely, relevant, and necessary to the greater arc of the Frozen franchise. When you finish watching the movie, you feel a sense of relief because Anna and Elsa are given a better understanding of their past and have some sense of closure. I thought it was a wonderful decision to have both sisters become queens in a sense at the end because it felt like Elsa needed that separation from Arendelle and that she finally found a place where she fits in and belongs. Into the Unknown is the power ballad, of course, but Show Yourself is also brilliant, and The Next Right Thing will bring you to the verge of tears because of everything going on at that point in the movie. And everything is like brought right to the brink of destruction. And Olaf like literally dies <laughs> for a moment there. But it comes back together in a way that doesn't feel cheap or rushed. And a lot of sequels try to raise the stakes and it doesn't work. But I think it really works here. Yeah, it. sorry. Um, yeah, it's also like you can tell this is an effective sequel because at the end I was like, I want another one. Yeah. I, like I could keep watching that movie for days. Mm-hmm. It, every single song is amazing in its own way. Even Lost in the Woods, which some people think is weird, but it's brilliant. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Love this movie was one of the ones on the list of potential number threes for me. I just also love Olaf in this movie and how he's like going Samantha. through like mature he's maturing and yeah. like it's so <laughs> funny, but it's like also so real because that is like the kids. Like it just from someone who like works a lot with kids, it, you just it's so it's so perfect. And you can tell they took the time to really think through every aspect of this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took them six years, and and not just like they took a break and then came back and did it rushed. Like, no, it was mm-hmm. a process that took right after Frozen was released all the way through 2019. So, you know, it was very meticulously planned. Number two for me is The Princess and the Frog. I'm a very music-centric person, and the music in this movie ropes me in, and it leaves me wanting more. I can tear up just from hearing Almost There, and just like Up, this movie brings me to tears in the beginning and the end, because you have that great sequence, and then you find out what happened to her father, and what she's working, where she's working right now, and you know, it's just a very like emotional intro to a film. And I love that it also introduces kids to jazz music in an approachable way. There's also something to to be said about representation and diversity that's present in this movie. Disney finally created a black princess, and that in itself is a powerful cultural statement, reflects Disney's newfound commitment to telling more diverse stories, which is a great thing. I really like the characters of Ray and Louie. They add a lot to the ensemble and the tears start flowing again when Ray sings Mabel Evangeline because he's in love with the moon. <laughs> yeah. So even though I wouldn't consider Naveen to be one of my favorite princes, it still works because this movie is grounded by Tiana. She's smart, hardworking, 
independent and likable in her songs and also her voice acting really anchor this movie. This movie's so great in so many ways. And also, it's just so... I don't know, there are so many aspects of it that are so interesting and nothing like Disney had ever done before. And I honestly can't think of a character I don't like in this movie. Every character was important in their own way, and I just think it was beautifully done. It's another very creative take on a classic fairy tale story, which is what Mm. makes it so fun, too. Same with Tangled and the take on Rapunzel. Like, every little kid hears the story of the princess and the frog, and... Uh, but not in this way. And Disney really took that concept and ran with it in a unique way, which is what makes it what it is. Yeah. And I think it's another cool example of an interesting villain in a story. Yeah, definitely. Really nice song. And just his kind of progression throughout the movie is is fun to, to watch. All right, so it happened again, everybody. All three of us have the same thing at the top of our favorites list. <laughs> Tangled. I wonder if that is like because we're siblings, or like if, or is it that just has something a fact to do with it. that Tangled is the best? <laughs> I think we're gonna reach out on social media this week and ask you if you really strongly disagree with everybody placing Tangled at the top. <laughs> we kind of just want to hear what you think about Tangled, and if some princess movie deserves to be above it why is that the case because you'll have to really convince us why um tangled is just exceptional and i will say this about frozen frozen doesn't deserve more hype than tangled tangled should be way way more hyped the best disney princess movies have a brilliant storyline excellent music a compelling princess and a genuine spark or connection between the two people that are in love and you know with tangled that's Rapunzel and Flynn, but for Frozen, that's Anna and Elsa as well, you know, Mm -hmm. and Anna and and Kristoff, even Anna and Hans, like there are a lot of examples there too. Mm -hmm. But Tangled accomplishes all of this flawlessly. When will my life begin in its reprise? Mother knows best in its reprise. I've got a dream and I see the light are all incredible, memorable songs. You finish the movie wishing that there was more original music. And in general, you just don't want any part of this movie to end. Thank the Lord they finally decided to treat the character of the prince, Flynn Rider, with some respect. They actually give him a story arc. So many of the prince characters are the exact same at the end of the movie as they are in the beginning. They have absolutely no depth. But this isn't the case with Flynn. He begins as a con man with the tough exterior, constantly living in survival mode, going from one thing to the next. But he has a warm heart, and we're able to see Rapunzel's good nature bring out the best in him, and that's another reason why their love story is so compelling. Without fail, I always cry at the end, and Rapunzel says the line, you are my new dream, and I watch this movie frequently. It just never gets old. There's a really good balance of serious subject matter with humor and fun, And Pascal is one of the cutest animal sidekicks I think that Disney has ever created. Yeah. So there's just not a weak point in this movie. The animation, the music, the story, the characters, and the pacing. It's all exactly what you want it to be. Yep. (laughs) And we've tirelessly sung our praises for Tangled, so (laughs) I think that's going to pretty much (laughs) wrap it up for today. 
So that's going to do it for this episode of the Disney Daydream Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll join us for the next one. Remember, be kind to one another and take the time to find a magical moment in each and every day. 